Hey everybody, welcome to Deep Dive. I'm Shane. I'm Amy. And this week we are going to uh, follow up on our You Ask For It Sunday mm -hmm. where you submitted questions and we answer them. So we're going to do our best to try to answer your really difficult, complicated questions today. So stick around. All right. So our first question this week mm -hmm. on You Ask For It is a really easy one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So here we go. Ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Uh, this comes to us from one of our church members, mm -hmm. and it goes like this. It is, does God change God's mind? Mm. Does God change God's does mind? Does God change God's <laughs> mind? So I, think, so I think it's interesting to kind of think about Scripture um, mm -hmm. for this question. So certainly... We have in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, these instances of, you know, certain figures kind of negotiating mm -hmm. with God in certain ways. That's Moses, mm -hmm. Abraham, Job, Job. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So there are these negotiations that mm -hmm. go on that certainly seem like God changes God's mm -hmm. mind. Um, and then, you know, yeah, I guess I Job's not successful. But no, yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then I think, you know, I would point to kind of the example of Jesus actually, you know, in the garden, we're about to head into the season of Lent, but Jesus asking God to take this cup. Mm -hmm. Um, and if, and if that was not something that was possible, then this example of Jesus asking this of God would seem peculiar to me. Yeah, it is interesting because I, I feel like I've, I've said prayers in my life that I'm praying for something that I know, yeah. or at least I feel is not possible, but I'm still praying for it. Mm -hmm. And I, I've often just my interpretive lens. That's the way I've mm -hmm. interpreted some of Jesus's things that mm -hmm. it's just not possible or probable, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's a tough question. It um, is. And, and I think part of it too, is like, if we're talking about God, God's changing God's mind, what does that mean? Really? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. even the, you know, so you can point to scripture of these times that there are these negotiations mm -hmm. between humans and God. And that's, that's one level I think of that question. Yeah. But then, I mean, what does, what does that mean? What does it mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I think on the big, like cosmic stuff, God's not going to change God's mind. I right. mean, like, you know, God's not going to be like, well, I've set up this whole thing with Jesus and the way that we can redeem humanity. But just kidding. You know, like, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, but I think some of those things have to do with like, things that are driven by God's character mm -hmm. or things that become a little more arbitrary, that there are way multiple ways of doing that within God's character. So I don't think God is in the business of changing God's character. Uh -huh. Like God is yeah. not going to become ungracious, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but, but there, I think we is, you know, if we are creating the image of God, we recognize that there are multiple ways to do things sometimes mm -hmm. that are within the character of grace or the character of love. There's multiple ways to love someone. And so I think if it falls into that category mm -hmm. of there's another way to love it, I do think there is an openness to God. I'm enough of a process theologian to believe that there is a genuine openness to God's character that God might be swayed in those ways. I also think from a personal relational standpoint there is value to arguing to God. There's something in that mix of mm -hmm. sort of arguing with God and, and seeing if God would change. And, you, and there's something learning about that. It's like the adage where someone says God's answer to prayer is sometimes yes, no, or wait. Mm -hmm. And there's something about that interaction that is formative to us. 
even if the end result isn't God is swayed and changes God's mind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that was actually kind of oh, okay. my, my next place well, I was going to go. sorry, I stole no, it. No, yeah, no, go no, ahead. no, yeah. no, no, no. Talking about the character of mm-hmm. God. And if we're talking about changing minds, mm-hmm. does that equate to changing character? I don't think so. Yeah, and, yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think that's important to hold up. And then I think you alluded to a little bit something else that I would talk about, which is, you know, particularly let's just use Abraham and Moses as this mm-hmm. example, that even um, that kind of experience of being in relationship and mm-hmm. talking and, you know, um, being able to give reasons, like to really help you to dig into what it is that you truly believe and need and feel called to yourself um, just in that process of um, communicating with God. Yeah. And I think we're like, I always try to think of like, what's the, what's the stressor that provokes these questions. And I think the stressor is, is when you feel, when you feel in a trapped situation or you feel like extreme frustration, I think we can get sort of like get been around the, been around the pole of thinking, well, should I even be praying for change? Yeah. And should I even be thinking about that? Because if God is unchangeable, why should I? I should just say, you know, your will be done. Well, I, right. I think you can pray for change and say your will be done at the same time. And so, uh, you know, if I, as a pastor here to relieve that stress, I would encourage anyone with this question, by all means, praise, you know, pray for God but, uh, for to change God's mind. Please do. Mm-hmm. Because even if God doesn't change God's mind or God doesn't give you the answer you desire, there's something in that process of sanctification and discipleship that you are going to learn more about yourself, learn more about God in a deepening situation. I've, I've, I've been in, with enough people in end of life hospice situations and conversations to realize that even if God doesn't miraculously come in and create instant healing, God's presence can be found there. And I, I, it's strange to say, but I, I, it is, it's generally what happens is someone finds a great deal of peace in the midst of that struggle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, and and so the the formative nature Mm -hmm. of just being open to being in that process, no matter the outcome. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the next question we got from the congregation is also an easy one, so it's perfect. Um, And that question is, why did Jesus have to die? Oh, man. Boy, this this question is a can of worms. Mm -hmm. So first, um, I'll say this is like, I think this is a really interesting question because this is like... um, I feel like this is the question it's the it's it's time in the box to be examined in our in our day and age because um, okay. it goes hand in hand with the the questions about substitutionary atonement we'll mm-hmm. get into that in a little bit but I feel like you know every every age the church is evaluating complicated questions and I feel like in this age this is the question we're evaluating mm-hmm. so I can just say where I'm at on that but it's not a hundred percent at it so First, I would reject the premise of the question. Okay. What does that mean? (laughs) Okay. So I don't think Jesus had to die. Okay. I think it is the logical end of of what he was committed to. But that doesn't necessarily mean God and Jesus and and, and, in heaven or wherever. It's in a conversation with the Holy Spirit be like, well, I feel like I really need to send you down there and get killed. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a difference between that 
in in almost this conversation where God's like, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna do this incarnation thing, but you know what that means, right? Mm-hmm. You're probably gonna get killed." <laughs> and like to me, those are two similar but very different sure. things. And so I I'm much more in that latter one of. Um, Jesus is such a subversive figure mm-hmm. that w- what's bound to happen as a revolutionary um, of a revolutionary because he has enormous amounts of, you know, it's interesting at Lent at, you know, right before Easter is Palm Sunday and Palm Sunday is probably the perfect context to talk about this in because it is Jesus entering in this, you know, the triumphal entry, the, you know, entering in this way where they have just crowds and crowds of the poor and the desperate entering. And scholars will tell us that he's entering in a way that's definitely like a parody of the way a Roman general would enter with, mm-hmm. you know, legions of people showing their power where Jesus is coming riding humble on a donkey. Whereas a, a Roman general or a ruler governor uh, would have been riding in on a war horse. Uh, and, and so, from that perspective, it's it's much more easy to see that Jesus would be perceived by Rome as a revolutionary. Gospel, good news, I'm sharing good news literally is a Roman term about the, hear the good news of Rome, which is typically about, you know, rebellions they put down or places they'd conquered. Mm-hmm. And so to me, when I look at the life of Jesus, I say he is so committed to what he's about to do, which he outlines, particularly in Luke, when he opens the scroll in that early synagogue and he just says, good news to the poor, release to the captives. Well, that is upsetting stuff from the Roman perspective. And so let's not get this wrong. He was a political execution. That is the part of the narrative. And so uh, over the centuries, we start spiritualizing aspects of that. And, mm-hmm. and, and certainly we should and engage in those things. But from its raw basic standpoint, he was killed as a political, he was accused of sedition and killed as our, some of our creeds literally say that accused of sedition and killed by Rome. And so from that perspective, I don't think Jesus had to die in order to accomplish his goal, but, but accomplishes his goal included death because if he were to compromise his mission or in order to preserve his life, it would have compromised what he was trying to accomplish. Does that make sense? Yeah. The funny thing is, I don't really know how, but I agree with you a hundred percent. Okay. Okay. Like, especially for it to be such a kind of hard and multi-layered question, Mm -hmm. but I really do agree with you. I mean, that is my, that is my view of Jesus and his life and, and what he felt very called to. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked before about the preferential treatment for the poor and in the midst of empire, those are some pretty hard words, especially if you have people who start to follow yeah. you. Yeah. 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 And Jesus accepting his death is a stunning subversive act of resistance, you know, to, to relate it to this Sunday, we're going to be talking about the temptation and the temptation is for Jesus to access his godly powers in order to, you know, use those powers to demonstrate his mission and but Jesus in submitting to death, death mm-hmm. on a cross is an act of subversion because it, he's showing us what it means to be fully human. That human beings have the capacity to resist mm-hmm. oppression, to resist unjustness, to uh, resist all these things, even to the point of death. Human beings have that capacity via the resources of God, uh, the Holy Spirit. And, and he's willing to demonstrate that. He's willing to not compromise what he believes in, to, even to the point of death. Now, where this gets really complicated is because if, if if we accept that as a premise, and I'm not saying you should, I'm just saying what I believe, okay? If we accept that and start pulling that back, 
back into theology, uh-huh. it really does challenge our understanding of substitutionary atonement, which substitution atonement, I, I'm, I'm sure there's better ways to describe uh-huh. it, but the best way to describe it is it's a very commonly, probably the most held uh-huh. belief about Jesus's death, which is that God required a blood sacrifice to atone for the sins of humanity, mm-hmm. uh, substitutionary atonement. Atonement's a fancy word that just means to make one. So God required a blood sacrifice in order to make us one with God, because, you know, it's been said God can't be in the presence of sin, you know, it, to use that, you know, the prophet, take the coal, cleanse my lips. I can't be here in the presence of God with the presence of sin. Sin needs to be eradicated. God required blood. And some of that is it maps onto our very overly simplistic understanding of Old Testament sacrifice. Mm -hmm, Sure. Oh, absolutely. And so Anselm is one of the church Mm -hmm. fathers who I would point to, actually. If you want to read all about kind of the origin um, of this theory, um, that would be where I would point you to, to look up Anselm um, and do some reading. And really, he he obviously was reading, you know, from these kind of um, texts that you're talking about, but also he was living in a feudal kind of society himself. And so he was looking around at how does, mm-hmm. how does law work? How, how do we experience justice and things being made right? And yeah. it caught, it caught on, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. it caught on. And so here we are now and it obviously has stood the test of time um, and become yeah. very widely believed. But really I would point people as many times as we could to, to go back and really think about and look and research and study where do these things that we take for granted, where do they come from? Where do they mm-hmm. originate? Because that's 11th century yeah. kind of stuff there, you know, and we take it as, well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And and to understand that, like, our understanding of, of sacrifice is really overly simplified. Yes. I mean, a blood sacrifice would have been certainly something that happened. But to, to think it's just as simple as God requires this blood, it's as as opposed to this is an act of faithfulness. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to understand that that's that was really struck upon me in my re- recent trip to Israel, looking at mm-hmm. um, the way grain fields were set up to have these corners where where the poor could come and glean. Well, that's an that's a that's a testament of one's faithfulness to God. God doesn't necessarily require it. It is an act of, of faithfulness. And I think that actually maps onto what I believe Jesus is doing better than the substitutionary atonement. I think what really undermines substitutionary atonement for modern Christians is simply this question. If God is God and God has the capacity to be, to be gracious because God's God and can do that, mm-hmm. why would God require anything to make use of that grace. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that burns people's heads because it was the old, you know, old Testament vengeful God sure. requires a sacrifice. Right. And so a lot of people have said, I've heard this said before is like, if God requires death in order to offer grace, that's not a God I would worship. I don't know if you've ever heard people say things in mm-hmm. that category, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's why it's, you know, substitution atonement, it's, it's turn in the box to be examined. And I, I, I'm someone I, I'm, I am willing to say that I, I, I'm not there anymore. I can't, mm-hmm. I can't necessarily say I fully believe in it. That doesn't mean I want to discard it because it's, you know, it, I still think there's some wrestling there. Sure. Of course. And one place I would point, and again, we've said this, but we're getting into Lent to look at the, the gospels. And just what is the focus in the story? I mean, Jesus Jesus dies in all four mm-hmm. of the Gospels, but people are not walking away and pointing to, there's the thing that we build our faith on. Mm-hmm. It's the resurrection. 
that we build, you know, so much of our faith on. So I think that would be a place I would point people to as well. Yeah. So for our last question, we had a couple questions about how do people of faith interact with social media? And it wasn't just, and a lot of them wasn't just how you behave on social media. It's what are we supposed to make of it? Because it's making us so deeply unhappy. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you had any thoughts on that or even personal experience of how you've managed that over the years. Yeah. So I would take that a couple different directions. The, mm-hmm. the first one for us is that we are streaming this um, podcast and, yeah. you know, we are on YouTube doing this and I think it's a great thing, um, mm-hmm. to, to be able to do that and to be able to talk to folks and have these kinds of conversations in front of people that we wouldn't otherwise be able to. So I would hold that up as, yeah. you know, one of the kind of good things going yeah. on. Um, but it does not take, it does not take very long at all to be on Facebook or Twitter um, and to see kind of this vitriol that is there mm-hmm. and people um, sharing so much information. Um, and I'm thinking particularly politically, um, their social opinions mm-hmm. about how the world should be structured and who should be in power yeah. and, you know, and all of those things. And they are they are more often than not, not conversations. Um, these are throwing barbs back and forth. And I, how could that not be damaging? Yeah. Um, and so I think you were pointing to the question. So what do we, what do we do mm-hmm. for me personally? A lot of times I just don't engage with that at all. Yeah. Um, I block it out or I get off of whatever platform I'm on, but that's not really a way to navigate that. Right. It could be. Yeah, I, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, I heard I heard a um, a psychologist talk about some study where they were looking at mental health trends for teenagers in particular, and for whatever reason, there's theories on this, but 2014, um, you know, things were getting better, better. All of a sudden, something in 2014 hits and it starts going the other direction mm. by pretty large factors. And the theory behind that has to do with this is when we've reached sort of this zenith of where uh, mobile technology is ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mobile technology, obviously things like mobile Facebook and things like that have existed before 2014, but the accessibility due to things like family cell phone plans, uh, affordable, more affordable versions of mobile phones that can access things. 2014 is when all those things sort of hit together and you start getting, you know, teenagers, having access to social media on their phones all the time with, you know, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, you know, now TikTok and all these sort of things, Twitter, uh, and all of a sudden mental health scores start declining. Um, and so to me, I, I'm almost, I'm almost of the point that I don't know if there is a healthy way to interact with some of them. Now the, the mental health scores, and, and what people deem to be how people classify their interactions with these platforms differ. Um, you know, things like Instagram are tend to be less harmful to people because there's not as much verbal interaction mm-hmm. or if it is, it's just like, Oh, that's a beautiful picture. It's mm-hmm. a little more geared towards that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the other ones the the, the toxic score is just, it, it's terrible. And, and so um and there are sto- score. I'm sorry, studies that are specific to Facebook and other ones. And there's not a single study that is out there that points anywhere to 
any interaction with these things making people healthier, sure, you know, mentally healthier. Mm-hmm. There's just no study that does it. And so I'm, I'm almost of the point of saying like, why use it? If mm-hmm. you're someone who doesn't have a Facebook account, keep it that way mm-hmm. because I don't think it's doing us any favors unless here's the caveat. I would say there's two caveats. One, you're someone from uh, a marginalized community and that's a very broad definition. It could, it, you know, it could be something like you're part of a, you have a chronic illness and you need to mm-hmm. meet other people with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You have, there's something unique or rare about you and you need to find other people that have that. Facebook does provide through groups, mm-hmm. pri- private groups, the ability to have that connection. I'm someone who I'm, although I am a white male that is not marginalized, but I do have a chronic medical condition that I have found a good de- deal of camaraderie. And so I do have Facebook, but I interacted in such a mm-hmm. specific way. And I actually have all these things. I lock out the feed. I, and so when I log on to Facebook, it's to check group messages, mm-hmm. but I usually get that on my phone and it's from people in that community or it's to participate in those message group message groups. Outside of that, I do not use it. Um, and I have a love hate with Twitter. I delete it off my phone and I put it back. <laughs> regularly. Because, yeah, yeah, regularly. Yeah. Many times I've texted Amy. I was like, well, deleted Twitter again. Um, the problem with Twitter is I just use it as a news source. Yes, and right. and yep. it's really helpful for that. But I, I maybe I just need to like call who I follow down to a very small mm-hmm. set of that. I, I'm just really I, I think I'm really at the point where I just don't there's no value added to our lives. Mm-hmm. There's like what's the point of having these things, you know? If it's sharing pictures with family, mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. If it's sharing mm-hmm. pictures with a friend, that's fine. But there's so many other things. Uh, part of the reason mental health scores are so bad with particularly kids is they don't go to sleep. As a, yeah. as a youth minister I, in the past, I'd talk to kids. And I said, how much sleep are you getting at night? Knowing that it should be getting nine, you know, nine, ten, eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there. They're getting like four or five. And it's mm-hmm. because this phone, it's not because of the blue light on the phone, which we were told, because studies have actually said that's not really part of it. It's the engagement. Mm-hmm. They're nervous about things. Things. They're they're getting messages at two in the morning on Snapchat, things like that. Um, you know, if you're a parent, don't let your kid use their phone in their room by themselves. I, I that's a piece of advice I work to everyone say to everyone. It's it's hard um, mm-hmm. because it, it's everywhere and it's not going to go away. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, as Christians, it's not just we have to be not just how we behave, but how it affects us. Because any other thing in our life, I think what you know if we if we worked at a job of a toxic culture, we would be looking for another job. Hopefully if we felt like we could Mm -hmm. any other thing in our life, we would be trying to think about getting rid of it. If it was social media, we should be doing that. Yeah. And I'm, I think so much of, you know, even with it being very hard and people Mm -hmm. understanding these things on some level, it's a lot of times the fear of missing out. Like what, what am I, if I'm not on, if I'm not on Facebook, even if I'm not on Instagram and I agree with you that that's Mm -hmm. seems kind of calmer and kinder maybe. Yeah. yeah my biggest worry with the Instagram is just time wasting. Yes. Not, right, ne- not right. necessarily it's making like, me oh, unhappy. Look yeah, at these yeah. sunsets. They're yeah. gorgeous. Cause the scroll never ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that would be, that would be a, a point that I would make too. Yeah. It, it, it it's complicated cause it, it's just, it's not going to go away, but if it makes us unhappy, why are we doing it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think another part of our, our, I think another part, particularly challenge for Christians is uh, we put so much energy into who we are performing online. 
you know, so we, it's, it's making sure we choose the right selfie, the sure. right image. And it's this whole production. We, we are all, we are all our own PR agents. Now that's true everywhere. I think there's some people that now argue that the only identity ha- we have is the one we perform. So even in interpersonal interactions, we are doing some degree of performative mm-hmm. performativeness, but, but I think we could all admit that when we are with people we really trust, that performance is at its lowest, and that's when we are our most authentic selves. But sure. I think we could also all admit online our most inauthentic self exists there. Mm-hmm. And, and as a, a Christian, particularly as we talk about integrity, shouldn't we want to be like limiting the amount of inauthenticity mm-hmm. to ourselves? Because isn't, you know, particularly if, if faith is a major component of how we interact online, that inauthenticity could be a problem because that's one of the biggest complaints against Christianity. It's not authentic. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if you have that kind of pressure to not be authentic, then you can never get to that kind of vulnerable We've talked about vulnerability Mm -hmm. before, and that may not sound like something that people want to do. Why would I want to get to the place of vulnerability? Um, But I think that's a place where real change Mm -hmm. can happen, not just kind of this throwing opinions back and forth, but a place where real change can happen. Well, now's the time of the show where we have some recommendations for you, things we've enjoyed, things we think you like. Uh, Let's start it off. Amy, what you got? Yeah, so we are just, we are right there at the season of Lent. So one of the things that I actually kind of recalled, I've looked at it, I've used it before, but it's one of those things that I just kind of forgot. Interestingly enough, from our conversation about technology, it's a technology thing, Okay. um, but it's very specific. And it is a website, but also an app that can Mm -hmm. go on your phone that's called Pray As You Go. Have you, oh. have you heard of this before? I, it sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, so it's a so there's a time for daily prayer, mm-hmm. which would be maybe even a great practice during Lent. We have some of mm-hmm. those that we are offering here from the church too. But um, this is uh, kind of a series of like bells and music and beautiful landscapes oh, that are very short. So if you want to be on your phone doing something, this yeah. would be a great thing to point you to. But it's a multi-sensor experience. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. Yep. Yeah, and have you done this so far? Yeah, yeah. So, I've, so I've used this in the past, mm-hmm. recalled it today, and I was like, oh, that's right. Yeah. I really loved that. Yeah. Yeah. I meant to say earlier in a discussion about social media, the timing of this being so near lit, it is an interesting opportunity to experiment with yourself about, you know, how is it affecting your life and, you know, a common practice in Lent to give things up. You know, this might be a good time to just say, you know, maybe not wholly give it up, but I'm going to delete all the apps off my phone and Mm -hmm. just see what happens. You might learn something about yourself. Mm hmm. Uh, my recommendation is a documentary that's on HBO, so that might be limiting for some people, but uh, it's called McMillions. And, oh, uh, this is the McDonald's. Yes, one. yes, it's amazing. Like, uh, <laughs> this is mind-blowing that, like, I didn't know this till now. But, like, you know, the Monopoly game at McDonald's mm-hmm. where you could win a million dollars and win all these really big problems, uh, prizes and things like that. The thing is... The vast majority of time it existed was a complete scam. It's hard. To there believe. was just a small series of people that were essentially scamming all of us in McDonald's. Uh, you know, McDonald's wasn't in on this, but this small set of people scamming that every million dollar winner for almost 20 years was a complete fraud. And, and even the big winners. And like, it's unreal how this happened for so long. My childhood self is so disappointed. I know. I know. It's just like <laughs> that. Yeah. The promise of, oh, you peel yeah. that off. And the promise, oh, I just need one more to think right. that I never, never had a 
ever yes. had a shot. Not yeah. just the one in a million, one in 10 million. I never right. had a shot. Yeah. Uh, and so it's really amazing. I'm not finished it. There's only three episodes out. And um, it, it's a little extra. I'll say that. It's like they've just, they've dialed it up a little bit, but man, is it entertaining. I That's hope it's awesome. something that gets a wider release at some point uh, that HBO maybe sells it or releases it somewhere else because man, is it entertaining yeah. and really interesting. Awesome. So. Well, uh, like us, favorite us, share us with your friends, uh, leave us a review on YouTube, on Google Play, on Apple iTunes, all those things. Uh, but thanks for joining us on Deep Time. Any last thing, Amy? All good. Yeah, we answered all the questions great, right? So many questions. All right. Uh, take care. <laughs> See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.